Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have an absolutely incredible guest on tonight. We have the amazing Simon Southerturn. How are you tonight, Simon? I'm very good, Rebecca. How are you? Oh, we are excellent. Thank you so much. We are in completely different sides of the world, but we were able to find a time that we could come together. So we really appreciate you being on Mormonish. Yeah, no, it's 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 uh, very nice to join you. Um, it's about 11 o'clock in the morning here. I think it's about seven or something where you are. Yep, that's so, right. Yeah, Other sides there of the are world. comfortable times to uh, chat. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little window somewhere in there that we can we can do this so yeah we are just absolutely thrilled to have Simon on um I mean Landon is going to read his bio I think we'll start there even though I feel like he doesn't really need any introduction but we will go ahead and do that just because as a formality to get it out of the way so Landon if you can go ahead and do that sure Simon Southerton has a PhD in plant science from the University of Sydney he led forestry molecular genetics research at Australia's National Research Agency, uh, CSIRO, from 2005 to 2014. Simon resigned from the LDS Church in 1998 while serving as a bishop after reading scientific research that showed American Indians do not have Jewish ancestors. He was excommunicated from the LDS Church in 2005 after publishing Losing a Lost Tribe, which... Uh, raises serious questions about the historicity of the Book of Mormon. Simon has been a vocal critic of the Book of Mormon and its racist narrative for over 20 years and is openly critical of the LDS Church whenever it is involved in hiding the truth. So I think I think most people know you for your DNA uh, work and your genetic work uh, with the Book of Mormon. Uh, and so we're thrilled to have you here, Simon. Thanks, Simon. It's good to be here. Yeah, and I think that's true. I think usually when you see Simon on a program, it is to talk about DNA, and we just actually invited him back on to talk about that another time. But today, we're going to talk about something that we've noticed all over social media recently. I mean, it's always a hot topic, and that is membership numbers of the LDS Church. How do we track them? How can we find them? What do we think they are? Are people leaving? Is it status quo? Are they gaining members? Where are these members? There's all kinds of questions. And recently in social media, we've been seeing some posts, some information about that there may be some ways to kind of figure this out. And Simon is kind of cutting edge on top of this and um, agreed to come on tonight to just kind of talk about that. Let's talk about those membership numbers. Let's talk about that demographic and let's just dive into that. So he has kind of an amazing slideshow to go through with some of this information. And I know this will be really, really interesting to our viewers and listeners. Yeah. And it's really kind of silly that we even have to do this because the church knows exactly what their attendance yeah. figures are. Yeah. However, they don't want to share those for some reason. And so that's uh, yeah. why we have to use uh, different technology to try to figure out what those numbers are and whether the church is actually growing like they want to lead you to believe or whether the, their numbers are declining. And if so, where are they going up and where are they going down? And I think Simon has the answers to that uh, for us. Well, of course, only the partial answers, because as you said, um, yeah, the church knows this is the frustrating thing about this whole topic we're talking about is that the church knows the numbers. Um, I mean, these ward, we, we know that the ward clerks are going around every every Sunday and counting the people that are in attendance. And uh, they so they I think they get a report every month on the true attendance globally. Uh, and that's what they've been very, very good at hiding from us. So, and they used yeah, to report that, correct? They used to report that. In yeah, conference. yeah, 
Um, I mean, back when I left the church, I mean, they were quite, even before I left the church, they were used to give very comprehensive uh, statistical reports in general conference. And uh, so even the number of deacons that the church had and teachers and priests and all that sort of stuff. Um, so you had um, just heaps of information that was coming out and they've just basically they've trimmed that down as soon as it gets uncomfortable with the church gets uncomfortable with what the data is revealing because as you know some things that are true are not very helpful as a as a an apostle once told a bunch of very shocked historians um and but the church just it's just i mean it you can't, I mean, they're very consistent. The churches, uh, church leaders are very, very consistent and very predictable. If there's history they don't like, they hide it. If there's facts they don't like, they hide it. So, um, so yeah, it's, I've been, it's sort of been a little bit of a hobby horse of mine for a number of years. So I've been tracking this for, probably back to the year 2000. Very soon after I left, uh, I've been interested in the, what the true attendance is. So, um, so I'm not a one-trick pony. DNA, yes, I'm very interested in DNA, but but this, I mean, the growth topic is very fascinating because the church has been spectacularly successful in hiding. And if you, if you ask them, most Mormons in the street would think, "Yeah, I belong to the fastest-growing church on the earth, and it's it's just amazing." Blah blah blah. Um, but the truth is that the church is more so, I think, than many other churches, in, is in deep trouble. So there's collapse going on. It's almost unheard of in the church. Um, even it's, I think there's more collapse going on in the LDS church in the US than most other churches. Um, but one of the pieces of data that I think contributes to members believing that the church is just booming is, of course, the temple construction. And if you throw up that first slide, Landon, you, I mean, this, this is what scientists would refer as exponential growth right so it's like every year it's every decade it's sort of double almost doubling the amount of uh, temples that have been under construction so it's it's no wonder members think well i know when i was a member we thought that gee if, if a country got a temple that was because there are enough people that were attending church and enough temple recommend holders to to fully staff and to keep that temple humming and keep it busy. Um, and so, yeah, so people could be excused for believing that the uh, the church is just booming because there's so much temple growth going on. Um, yeah, and there's no doubt if, if I were to look at this, uh, if I thought of this in terms of dollars, I would look at this graph and go, oh, we're growing leaps and bounds. There, there's no doubt. And this, this kind of information is readily available on the church's sites. They tell you exactly how many temples are under construction, how many are announced, yeah. where they are. They make sure you know how many temples they have. Uh, that, that number they've certainly made re readily available. Yeah. And it's and the they, cart before the horse, kind of, because obviously <laughs> this is sort of like field of dreams. If they build it, they will come, right? But we know that's not true. They even have trouble staffing the temples that they build. There aren't enough members in the locations that they're choosing to build them. Yeah. So no, that's a I problem. In, in Australia, they're um, encouraging elderly people to serve missions in the Pacific to, to staff temples. So, yeah, they're having, they're having, um, considerable trouble staffing them, um, but 
you know, maybe they've changed their policy and their thinking about temples. I don't know, but it's uh, but it's certainly I think that sort of data has contributed significantly to members thinking that the church isn't growing or is booming, and um, nothing could be further from the truth. So, because the church doesn't give us attendance data and has always hides that, and this is this is in contrast to many other churches. Most other churches are just upfront about it. And I think that's because if you don't face a problem, if you don't own own a problem and admit to a problem, how can you address it probably? How can you solve the problem? And uh, so if you go to an Anglican church, like that's the Church of England here in Australia, they'll, they'll, you know, they'll have arguments with the priests, they'll discuss issues and deal with problems. Um, But that's absolutely, it's totally foreign to the, LDS Church, where it's very you know, pyramid sort of structure and you you just um, obey your leaders. Um, so because the data's not there, the true attendance data that the church has, has refused, refuses to publish, um, we've had to sort of use surrogates. And the best surrogate, I think, is to, to, to look at the congregation growth. So look at the amount of wards and branches that the church is creating or closing each year. And... If you go to the next slide, it was very clear to me, very not long after the turn of the century, this is where I start feeling really old when I'm talking about the last century and the turn of the century. Um, but the second, this, so this is this slide shows the congregation growth in a number of uh, developed countries over the last, what, uh, 30 years almost. And you can see there's a stark difference between Nigeria, which is that light blue line, and all of the other countries. So while Nigeria has basically got exponential growth, it's unbelievable growth. Like in 1990, there were about 80 units or congregations in Nigeria, and it's now up to about 650, Um, probably more this date. This is, I think it's probably about 800 now, because this graph's a little bit old. So I was very interested in Australia. I mean, basically in all of these other countries like Canada, the UK, Japan, um, growth virtually stopped. So the, the church on balance was not really creating many more units or congregations after about the year 2000. Um, yeah, you can, you can see they're pretty, UK has about the same numbers they had in 1990 if, you know now and it looks like japan actually has a few less uh well japan uh, i think they've dropped by about almost 30 percent yeah that's so, pretty substantial and south so korea is, is really a large Sorry, that's there. yeah so south korea is about 30 percent japan i think is probably about 50 maybe 15 20 percent um yeah so so clearly um something major happened around the turn of the century and the as far as i'm concerned the most obvious thing is the arrival of the internet yeah uh, because in the 90s um there was rapid uptake of the internet and very soon that we found that there was large amounts of information that went onto the internet and people started to read it and of course information is the killer for the mormon church because it's controlled um, what people know about it for so effectively for so long 
but they lost control of that um, with the internet because the internet provides um, access to just vast amounts of information. So um, the the timing of the DNA issue was pretty pretty closely aligned. It, I mean, it was fairly, fairly fortunate timing. I posted, um, so I came across the DNA evidence in 1998 and I posted my personal story. It took me two years to build up the courage to, to put it online. I posted it online in the year 2000 and I just got swamped. I think I had about 600 private emails to me saying how devastated they are and they're, is this really true? That sort of thing. And I, I eventually I had to take my email address off um, because it was I couldn't handle all of the people who were going through the same uh, difficulties. So, um, so yeah, That's I've been convinced. Amazing. From ba- way back then, I've 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 absolutely had no doubt that the internet has been there. And you were a bishop at that time when you discovered yeah. that. Yeah, I was a serving bishop. Um, it's quite a fascinating story, or well, for me, a very profound story because I I went for two weeks looking at the research, and I but I was a firm believer. I was a bishop, and I was working my butt off as a bishop, and I firmly believed the Book of Mormon was true. But I, but at the end of two weeks, I firmly believed that American Indians had no Jewish ancestry. Um, so I had those two beliefs in my mind at the same time. They didn't. I didn't reconcile them. And then I went. I went to bed one night um, after singing Book of Mormon stories with our with our children, which you would appreciate would have been a fairly upsetting thing to do, given what I just discovered. Um, and I knew after we sang that story that I could never sing that story with my children again because it was a lie. Um, and so I, I I went to bed a believing Mormon, woke up in the morning, and I the whole thing was resolved. So I had my epiphany in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and woke up with a new perspective. I think it's yeah, interesting. So... We, had, we, we had a guest on before, um, Ian Wilkes, who was a, I don't, was he a bishop or a stake president at the time? He was where in he, the stake presidency. He was in the stake yeah. presidency and he had the chance to meet with Elder Oaks back in, like, I think it was 2010, 12. Is that the yeah. right date, Landon? And, and our friend Ian asked him, are you concerned at all about the internet? Is the church at all concerned, you know, to speak to what we're talking about and he said no not at all you know we're just going to use it to get our message out we're just going to be able to spread the word he really seemed to have no idea what kind of pandora's box this was and my personal theory is not only the internet but the smartphone because there you are sitting at church and you might have a question and you might google book of abraham translation and by the time you walk out to the parking lot you might have had that epiphany you know just the fingertip access i think you know leads people just to get more information so but i thought that was very interesting Mm -hmm. that they didn't seem concerned at all because i think there's that paradigm where all the technology for centuries has been created just for the church right to further the mission of the church you hear that all the time and in this case maybe not well, although you well, definitely think, um, see that they they're not afraid uh still i think because they put so much money into seo yeah seo and controlling yep. the narrative so that the first yep. 30 things you find on an internet search come yep. from them not from somebody else and they put a lot of money and time in to make sure that when you search something <laughs> about the church you get their message and not somebody else's right. so they they have improved since 2015 i think they've learned their lesson yeah. 
uh, and they there is a battle. Out. But but yeah. the cell phone is what does does them in on what you're studying here. <laughs> oh yes. Well, oh, I think yes. of course the other uh, potentially even more important, I think, than the information. The information is definitely important, but social media is social, and that's the other problem. And the church cannot stop that. Um, and the ex-Mormon, you know, you can go on. That was when I left the church in 1998, pre, almost pre-internet. There was very little um, social media. You were alone. So you had no one to talk to. Now, I got a lot of responses from people uh, personally to my story in 2000. Um, but in the 90s or 80s, if you left if you had doubts or problems with the church you'd uncovered and you'd read some of the apologetic rubbish that they publish uh, and you wanted to talk about it, you know, you would, you had no one to talk to, particularly in places like Australia um, where we're so distant from the, you know, Sunstone and the other sort of nuance type communities. Um, so the, but the, the ability to just go online and in 30 minutes, be completely validated in all of your questions by dozens and dozens of people who are, you can just tell, if you go onto Reddit, they're just some absolutely wonderful people, extremely perceptive and very um, uh, compassionate and understanding. Um, that is just, a. I think that's the, the other thing that the church just can't control. Uh, and it's a very, val a very powerful resource that, that people have today. So yeah, you're, but you're yeah, getting back to the I think that's I think the social there's no doubt in my mind it's the internet, social yeah. media. Yeah, um, yeah there's no, groups now, thrives and different groups to get mm -hmm. together, and that that really changes things because you're you're exactly right. You're you're not alone anymore. You don't have to yeah. be isolated, uh, and that plays yeah. a huge part in that. Yeah. So if we go to the next slide, we can see some really so we know that the units growth, there's been some big problems for the church. Uh, and this is a slide uh, lent from a, um, a friend who runs the Fuller Consideration site, and I've added a little bit of data to this. But I think it, it's fascinating because it really illustrates some, um, some very interesting trends in uh, unit growth over the last uh, 30 years. So if you look across the top there, that gives you the colour coding tells you um, the area around the world where the units are created. Um, and the graph shows if the color is above the line, that zero line, if the, if the color is above that line, that indicates growth in that particular area of the world. And if the color is below the line, that indicates closing, a balance, on balance, a closing of units. Okay, so the first, if you go over to the left-hand side, you can see it really fascinating period there in the 90s, the early 90s, where the church was creating huge numbers of wards in South America. And then in 1999, there's a five-year period, then there's massive closure on balance of units in South America. Um, so we all knew that happened because there was a massive number of wards and branches closed uh, in South America. So basically, they just were baptising huge numbers of people and they were hanging around at church for a year or two, and then they were just going inactive. And so they they had this sort of balloon, this ballooning growth, which this just sort of um, it then imploded because there were just not enough people to run the branches, and it just all 
collapse back on itself. So since then, there has been only fa fairly modest growth in South America. But the the other thing that's quite noticeable is if you look the blue, the darker blue color there is Africa. So for many years there was only minor growth in Africa, but about, around about 2010, we can see very significant growth in Africa. Now this is mostly in West Africa, so places like um, Ghana and Nigeria. Um, in fact, 90% of the growth in Africa, I think, is in Nigeria, something like that. It's very most of it's there. Um, so, but there's another, but there are some very interesting years there, two years, in fact, where there's very, very minor growth in the number of units. So if you look at the year 2018, you can see on balance only 30 units were created. And most, see, and see, see how there's the green below the line? Yeah. So that means on balance in North America, there were more more wards and branches closed than there were um, created. So, and in fact- But I'm guessing in, they didn't mention that in the statistical report at conference. I'm guessing they were able to convey information that made it sound positive, yes. even though this was the reality, because there, there's, well, a, reality there's was a way that, that, that they do that. <laughs> yeah, in 2018, if it hadn't been for Nigeria, the church would have reported negative negative numbers for unit growth the church is absolutely determined to stop that because they don't want people to see that it's getting that bad and if you look at 2022 again that is a year when only on balance so this is just last year on balance 15 units were added to the church and again africa has essentially saved the church from having to report negative when um, when you say when you say fifteen units, that's wards, that's branches. It's wards or branches? Okay, wards or branches. Yeah. So this is only congregations. So yeah. Now, are there are there any games being played here? Because uh, I see they, you know, in twenty eighteen we see that they're actually losing in North America, and then all of a sudden the next year looks like there's four hundred new new uh wards created or new units yeah. and, and a it's large a shell game <laughs> are they shuffling and moving or making well, smaller wards so they can create larger ones to make the numbers well, no, we, there are games being played um and i have my theories about what those games are and we'll talk about those in a moment okay um because i, th I think it's quite fascinating so one thing we know is for a fact that the church hates reporting anything that looks bad Okay, so they will they will stop st stuff being reported. Um, that's negative. So, but the other interesting thing in this is that I don't think the church reported any data in 2020. So the growth that you see there in 2021 is actually the sum of the growth since 2019. Oh, so two years. Yeah. Do you feel that the church sends missionaries? to places that are declining to try to buoy them up? Or do you feel like they send them to places where they can catch fire with which it, what's already happening? I'm always curious about that. Um, I I think they just send missionaries wherever they're allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's true. Ask my son in Missouri. <laughs> and, and some yeah. times they send them where they're not allowed to. I, I know yeah. of several countries that's where they put too. them in and they don't have the, the, uh, visas the right visa and stuff or, and yeah. they have to come in and out and they... Yeah. Uh, they you know, actually run out and they 
tell the missionaries, oh, it's okay, we'll get you one. <laughs> yeah. I was chatting to Nemo the other day, and it was, in, it was interesting to learn that he was actually called on a mission to the London Temple. This is a 19-year-old, 20-year-old man. Hmm. To stamp the temple. That That's that seems yeah. Yeah, that that is a prediction. Yeah, that Landon and I had when we were thinking about all the temple growth. We thought, okay, there's also a big push in senior missionaries right now. So I agree with what you said that you know we're going to call them and have them staff the temple. But we also thought, I wonder if they'll just now start with you know because proselyting is kind of a bunk. (laughs) It's not really working. So maybe to be called just so this is the first I've heard of that. That's incredible. So his actual yeah, mission I, is just I don't know how common that is. I, um, and I don't think he survived the whole time. Well, I couldn't have survived ten. Uh, no, well, service missionaries day. too. <laughs> yeah, service missionaries are are serving are you know staffing the temple too. But yeah, it's so yeah, we, we've got a theory so that they're going to staff all these temples with senior couples uh, to try to keep the senior couples in and give them purpose. They'll call them on missions to go from their house. To somewhere else to work in a temple that they just opened somewhere in the world to make it look like it, they have a temple, but they need to import people to staff yeah. it. So, yeah, well, I think um, that seems to be what they're doing. Uh, that was from what I've seen. That seems to be what they're doing. They're calling people to to um, just temple missions to fill the, mission, the, the temples up. So, but yeah, look, I um, I think if I was to summarize that graph. Really, the most important message, I think, is that in th- it's developing countries, those the two previous graphs, in developing countries, the church is in deep trouble and it's declining and it's got, um, so they're closing up units. But in countries, sorry, in, in um, Western countries, but in developing countries, that's where the growth is. So, um, and it's really in Africa, mostly in Africa. And that's pretty much what's going on with many Christian religions. Africa is just booming, um, and in many of the others, they're booming much more than the earliest church. But I would I would predict because Nigeria is a you know an English speaking country, and their access to the internet is just booming at the moment. So they're it's you know rapidly growing economy. Um, so given the church's awkward history when it comes to Africans, um, I just don't see how that can be sustainable for too much longer but you never know i feel like internet access yeah exactly increased internet access eventually there may be information that makes people realize oh no what have i gotten myself into (laughs) and they'll they'll, they need to eventually they'll have their own sort of mormon social Mm -hmm. you know ex-mormon social media in nigeria Um, yeah and yeah i think it'll just take off then they may have a Nigerian rescue on the horizon yeah. someday. It could happen. <laughs> yeah. So in that previous graph, there were two years that sort of stand out. Um, and these are 2018 and 2022. And these are years when I believe the church um, really started to get nervous because it doesn't want to report um, negative unit growth. It's an odd thing to say, um, negative growth. But that means there's uh, it's going down, um, and that's 2018 and 2022. Now the church did a number of things in 20 sorry in 2018, um, and we'll run through those. And I'm convinced that these were um, some of these were done in order to enable units to survive with fewer people attending. Okay, so if you go to the next slide, the 
these are things that happened in 2018, which were quite interesting. First of all, they got rid of the annual statistical report at General Conference. Now, they still publish the data and it's buried away on the church website, but we all know that things are very difficult to find on the church website. So most people will not come across it unless they're really looking for it. So, but, so the statistical report was abolished at church conference. Now, the next thing that happened, almost nobody outside of the ex-Mormon community will know about. There are a couple of websites where faithful members of the church were publishing almost on a daily basis the number of wards and branches that were being produced by the church because it was usually positive and looked really good. Well, these webmasters, a couple of them received a letter from Curtin and McConkie requesting that they stop publishing the weekly congregation data. Sure, that was a cordial letter. <laughs> oh, yeah. You get, a lawyer, you get a letter from a lawyer telling you not to publish stuff. You know, that's a, that's a serious threat. What? I mean, and they were probably so confused. They were probably like, well, what? I'm I'm bragging about my church. I'm getting the information yeah. out there. I wonder where those people are today. That's my question. <laughs> those websites are still are still limping along. They get the wow. annual data. They get annual data and they, they talk about that. Um, but you know, they're they're smart Latter-day Saints who are trying to look at the data, trying to find, and they're making helpful suggestions to the church to improve the problem. To, to help resolve the problems that the church is facing. Um, so that was another very unusual thing that was done in 2018. But also in 2018, Sunday meetings were shortened to two hours. So that reduces the calling burden for a ward because you've got yeah. one less hour that needs to be uh, filled with very fascinating gospel doctrine meetings and all that sort of stuff. So, and then, of course, the major one, was they abolished almost half of the priesthood callings in a ward. So high priests and elders were combined. Young women's presidencies were abolished. And the consequence is you can run a unit on a much smaller number of people. Okay. Now, there were wards where they've got plenty of people for leadership positions, but they got rid of the young men's presidency. And from what I've heard on the internet, this has been an absolute freaking disaster. Yeah. Because bishops who used to really rely on a young men's presidency to make, you know, to, to run a very effective young men's program are now, <laughs> sure, they can call people to help them, but the buck stops with them now. They've got a, and of course, it's it's a disaster. It, it's impossible to that... ask the bishop to do that. And I, I've yeah. had, I have three sons. Two of them were raised in the era of the young men's presidency, where there were all kinds of male leaders, all kinds of activities, everything going on, lots of support, lots of helpers. Yeah. Youngest son raised in the era of the bishop is the leader. Nothing is happening. There's rarely anything. Sometimes yeah. ward members will step up being asked, can they come to your house and maybe watch a movie? Nothing like the organizational powerhouse of the yeah. young men's program prior to that. So I'm not sure what they're trying to do by that, but they definitely do not have the connection to the young men that they used to, just in my anecdotal experience with sons. Yeah. Well, in, I believe they did this in order to hide the collapse. I believe the, the leaders were so desperate to not close units that they made it possible to run a unit on smaller 
staff numbers. That's I believe that that's that that's short sighted, and okay. they've created an absolute disaster in the young men's programs around the world. The other thing I should mention is that when Curtin and McConkie sent out that letter to webmasters, one of the webmasters webmasters thought, "Well, stuff you," and he found a clever way to get into their site and get the data. And he was publishing warden unit data up until about 2020, I think. I'd have to check on that, but around about 2020. And what the church then did was they changed the way that they structured, restructured their website where they were releasing this data and so that he couldn't access it. So it was very difficult for him to access it. And so he just gave up because it was just far too much work. I mean, one thing you can do is you can go onto the the LDS Meeting House web, what is it? The, the Meeting House Locator website. And you can take an image of the world, basically all of the countries, and see what changes are made day to day or week to week. And you can get the data that way, but it's very difficult. And so he just he threw his hands up. So, but the other thing that happened in 2022, just, they just stopped publishing any daily or weekly um, warden branch data. So they're they're absolutely determined to make it difficult for members to find out what's going on to get to the truth of the matter. But I, I just think there's so, I mean, and this, I mean, we've got this policy of exclusion that came in, you know, it's a knee-jerk reaction, poorly thought out. They chuck it out there and then three days, three years later or four years later, they they just quietly undo it. And But I think I'm absolutely convinced Given what's gone on in 2018, they would they were motivated to hide the declining growth of the church, um, which is a fairly such a short-sighted thing to do because it's created so much, uh, so many problems. I mean, it was a, always when I, I know when I was a member of the church and active in the church, I always got frustrated when they tried to divide wards sooner than they should divide them. Mm. Um, they would, you know, I was, I was, um, when I was called as a bishop, they just split a ward that had about 180 attending. I ended up with about 120, about 100, I think. I think we got roughly, roughly uh, equal numbers proportions. It may, have, it was, may have been about 200 that were attending. Um, but I ended up with about five youth. The other ward ended up with about 25 youth. Um, and then they were pressuring me to get a, Young, get a a, um, uh, a seminary teacher for my ward when they all attended the same high school. It just made no sense this divide to make the church look like it's growing. But they have been obsessed with this in Australia for years. When the best thing is to have large, vibrant wards with lots of youth, um, and that really is. Uh, the best way to the church functions. It functions really well when it's got you know, very large wards. And and I don't think and, that's unique to uh, Australia. Uh, I'm here in Utah, and uh, my kids growing up, we split wards uh, four or five times uh, while living in the same house. And I was a I was the scoutmaster for years. And every time I'd just get the program going, I'd just have enough boys, and they'd split it, and I'd end up with four boys and it's like how do you have a program with four boys uh in, in scouting and it, it it is really short-sighted because 
the programs are what the people want. Uh, that's what brings people in. You have strong programs, you have strong wards, your numbers grow. When you have weak programs and no nothing for the youth, it 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 collapses. And and I think that's what we're seeing is they're they're pulling the money. There's no money in the ward. The church has hundreds of billions of dollars, but the ward budgets are so small you can't do anything. And then they put so few people in there that you can't do anything. And they're they're destroying what people go to church for, and that's the social and the community and to worship together. And and it just seems like they're pulling that right out from under people. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's some change. I mean, it, it, I think it's getting pretty much to desperation point now. There, if there was a mechanism for bishops to complain and get the message through to the higher ups that it's not working, I don't know. If they do have a mechanism for that. Um, but uh, look, That's I think very there, telling. Are, there are enough <laughs> bishops out there that are going to tell their sacred yeah. president what they think of this program. But um, it's a common complaint that I'm hearing. So, it is, and I think about. I think about. Um, oh no, I lost my train of thought. What was I going to say? Um, oh, just just now we're like old timers that go around saying, "In my day, you know, we had the golden green ball. We had this activity. We had the road show. You know, and people today have no idea what we're talking about. But it's true. In the past, that was why. That's why I remained a member for over five decades because of that community, that camaraderie, the memories of. You know, I I didn't go to church because of the gospel. I don't know if people think that's why people are going. It's the community and the friendships and that everybody's there. And when you take that away, it's just a hollow shell. And like you say, youth programs, my sister was running a youth program in Texas. I went to visit. I was stunned that there were five young women in the entire program. You know, and this is in Texas where typically there are large wars. And she's like, yeah, we just we try to do what we can. But five young women in the entire program, there's no way. There's just no way. Yeah, I think yeah. I think they've taken the culture out of the cultural hall. Uh, yeah. It's just not there anymore. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's sad because you know who suffers? The people. And one of yeah. the one of the missions of the church is strengthen the members. That is strengthened with community, strengthened with activities. There's no money there. They're taking that money out. They're putting them into temples, sterile temples that only about what would you say, Landon? A fourth of the people can even yeah. even have a, a recommend at this point. So priorities are all messed up and they're seeing they're reaping what they sow right there. Yeah. But fortunately, technology has come to our rescue. <laughs> Here's my favorite part. This is the good yeah. stuff. Here we go. Look, I've been I've been fascinated um, with uh, tracking of cell phones for quite a number, well, a couple of years now. Um, I thought I first fell in love with this data back in um, early 2020 um, because that was the when the the pandemic was really kicking off, and I I've always been fascinated by you know disease as a scientist so I was very fascinated um, with the responses that were occurring around the world to the pandemic and uh, but yeah the the capacity to track human populations um, quite accurately using cell phones is just uh, just amazing technology and this photograph when I saw this I was just so amazed so what <clears throat> So, yeah, so basically what your cell phone does is about every, oh, I think I think these days it's about every six minutes, six, six, six seconds or so, your cell phone sends a ping up to the satellites or whatever, and it records where you are. So there's 
huge amounts of this data being accumulated all the time that enables people to track where mobile phone, or I call them mobile phone, that's what Australians call cell phones, so I'm going to say that a few times, I'm sure. Um, but, yeah, so so scientists were fascinated by this, and the reason they were really interested in it when it comes to the pandemic was one of the um, one of the things that they were very concerned about in the early days of the pandemic is just how much human populations move uh, because that affects how rapidly a virus can spread through a population. And what this graph shows is scientists or um, academics using this data to track where a whole bunch of, um, what, are, what do you call them, the ones that go to the beach parties in Florida to celebrate the end of year. I don't, is there a name Spring for break. People? Spring break. That's the word. Spring break. That's right. I've never gone, but I have heard stories. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I will not ask any further. So, yeah. Um, so the spring breakers, what they do is they go down to the to Florida and they all sit on the beach and pretend they're having, pretend they're having a great time. They probably drink a fair bit too. So essentially what they did is they lassoed a little portion of a beach in Florida where there are probably 5,000, and they they tracked where the 5,000, I think, I don't know what the numbers were, say it was 5,000. They tracked where those phones went after the spring break, so where they went throughout the US. And, of course, you can, you can see they went a hell of a long way. Um, and you can, so if you look right down on the beach in Florida, you can see roughly where the beach was down there. That's that very bright patch. And yeah, so that the like orange Miami South Beach, that area down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That spring break country for sure. Yeah. So the, but the fascinating thing is that if you look at in the dark, there's um like you see Salt Lake. If you look at Salt Lake, there's a patch right there in Salt Lake, but there's no lines going to Salt Lake. So the people flew obviously from Florida to Salt Lake, then they went home. So so that explains those ones. But then you've got this really fascinating one in Canada where somebody's flown back to Montreal and you can track a line all the way across Canada where this person's driven. And they ended up in Calgary. Um, so, But it's just amazing data. But it just shows you how, how much information that can be gleaned from cell phones. Uh, fortunately, most of this data uh, is... This is all completely anonymized, so they don't, it doesn't, you know, the, the people that are accessing this to create this graph are not getting the names of people or anything about personal information. It's just anonymous, they call it anonymized data. And, uh, but yeah, this is what got me interested. And then, of course, we had in the last few weeks, we've had some, um, some release of using the same approach of basically attendance data. In the LDS Church. So, if you flick onto the next slide, brilliant. This is absolutely brilliant yeah. and just so fascinating. Yeah. So, actually, this isn't the LDS Church. This is uh, the whole of America. Um, and so, basically, the 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 guy that does this is Devin Pope. His name's Devin Pope, and he's a professor of economics, I think, at a, um, a university in Chicago. I think I've got a link on one of these pages that people can go to, to to look at his stuff. So he's an LDS bishop 
And he got anonymized data for about 2.1 million phones. And then he was able to use, so just like when they do a poll, say, you know, when they're doing a poll to see what way people will vote in an upcoming, upcoming election, you don't need to poll everyone. You can, you can get a fairly good idea of what the voting is going to be like by surveying a 1,000 people or 2,000 randomly chosen people. So these 2.1 million are randomly chosen phones, and they then get the pings from where those phones are on particular days. So they've done this for on a Sunday for, for right across America. And even though they're getting pings from only 2.1 million phones, they're able to estimate what the full attendance is by using fairly really clever methods. For example, they'll count up the number of pings they get for a baseball game, right, where the attendance is already known. And then they're able to correct because they might only have, you know, 2% of the phones are actually in that baseball stadium. For example, yeah. But because they know the attendance, they're able to correct for it. Okay, so they've done... Um, similar sort of things with people going to church. Now, of course, some people might think, well, babies don't have phone, mobile phones and old people might have not have mobile phones. But in doing that correction for baseball games, there's lots of babies and young kids go to baseball games and older people go to baseball games and they might not have mobile phones too. So there's a bit of a correction that's also corrected for. So the people that are doing this are really smart and they, they do all the very uh, careful corrections. So... But, yeah, so this data shows that Americans, around about well, almost 30 million Americans are sitting in church on Sunday. Um, I think this might be, is this Christians? No, I think this is all. Um, so they're, they're obviously doing this for um, all, all different. all different. So this may not be necessarily on Sunday. For example, Jews are going to, to um, their services on Saturday, Seventh-day Adventists. So they would correct for that, I presume. But um, but as you can see, there's a nice spike at Easter when there's a, a lot more people go and there's a few less people on Thanksgiving because they're all out eating with their family or something. I don't know. Um, and then, of course, Christmas, there's a big spike of people. So, but I think... This was, this was actually amazing to me because it's, what, about 30 million attending? Uh, when yeah. you think that the U.S. population is like 300 million, that's really only about 10%. I, I always thought that it was a much larger portion that went to yeah. church. And, and it's yeah, really so I think you've also got a, got a factor in that there's probably quite a lot of online attendance. So, and, I, and that would also, I, I guess, would... Um, be reflected in the LDS. You need to take that into account when you're looking at the LDS numbers as well. So, but this is actually April to. So this is pre-pandemic. So yeah, in it that is case, less there wouldn't have been online. Yeah, for LDS. So there, there, there would be, not have been. Oh, there would be online in in not in the LDS church, but in right, but in other churches, other churches that there will probably would be a fair fair few that stay at home and just go to their. But it is it is less than they get in surveys. 
Um, it's CEO. There it is. Now we know Christmas Easter only. A lot of people are CEO. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there are a few. But look, I I don't know how firm the data is. This is pretty early sort of data, and I think Devin Pope, who published this, is he's taking feedback from lots of people. So there may be corrections to this over the next few um, years. And I think he's got a paper that's going into publication that this will have a lot of this sort of data. But it is a really fascinating little window into um, a you know some human behaviour that we just never had before. Because there, I think this was, I think he thought, I think people self-reported, I think, that about 40 million were attended every, you know, once at least once a week or or, or weekly, yeah. Um, but it is less than maybe people imagine they go to church more than they actually do go to church. But, <laughs> or they knew the their next, parents were checking up on them. <laughs> yeah. So the next slide shows data for the LDS church. And they, of course, there's no surprises there. There's a couple of online conferences, boom, no one attends. Um, but this is quite interesting. This is for the US, and he found that about 1.4 million Mormons uh, are attending. That's about 20% of the reported numbers. And if you do the calculations, I think there are about 15,000 wards in the US. I've done the numbers, and so has Devon. And it works out at about 95, an average of 95 per unit. Okay. Now, this data is pre-pandemic as well. So this is April 9, 2019 to February 2020. Now, 95 is a little lower than I would have expected for the average LDS ward in and branch in the US. I would have expected to be a bit higher. And I, I, I suspect because Devin is doing an analysis of many, many churches, he's not looking at any particular unique features of a particular church to do his correction. And I think there could be a tendency in some LDS wards, you know, for the parents to confiscate phones from kids and maybe some people, maybe some bishops have discouraged members from taking their phones in. I don't know. But I think it's a little on the low side. Um, but if, but let's assume that it's, it's say, 20% below what really is happening. It looks like attendance is in the sort of 100 to 120 range, I think, in the, in the US. Now, that's pre-pandemic. And we know from anecdotal evidence, um, and I think the next slide shows even almost hard evidence, <laughs> that the pandemic has uh, had a major impact on attendance, probably 20 to 25% less attendance. So when Devon Pope published his um, findings on Twitter, people came in and commented, and this is data from somebody who commented, there, and I don't know what their name is, it was anonymous, but it's the attendance of, he'd done the same sort of analysis using data in California, and he'd found that the, it looked like the average attendance in California pre-pandemic was about 130. Then it dropped down to about 30 during the lockdowns, um, and that would have been to. There would I don't know what the limitations were in the U US. Was it a certain number per 
California was very strict uh, with yes. their lockdowns. Um, so I, I thought they, I think they even tried to keep people from going to church and then a Supreme Court fight. And then they said, no, you have to let them go to church. So, but they were pretty strict. Yeah. So it, it looks like it was around about 30, roughly 30 people on average were attending each unit. And that that's, of course, they had online church at that point. You know, they went to online. So you may yeah. have had a larger number, but. Yeah. Um, and so it's got data through to January, February in 2022, and it looks like it's rebounded to about 85. Now, that's about a 30%, um, probably even more, well, about 30% reduction in attendance. Now, to be fair to the church, there's probably, you know, a number of elderly people or immunocompromised people who are no longer attending because the risk is is too high and they're probably, um, probably you know, receiving the sacrament from visits. But um, there's no doubt that the pandemic has also led uh, to many people thinking more about those shelf items that they've had for many years. It's given them space. Um, and that's what people need. When you get information that's troubling, that, that overturns your worldview, um, it takes quite a lot of mental energy to process that and to adjust to it. Uh, and so most people just put it on a shelf. Um, but the pandemic, I think, has had a significant impact because it's um, people just had time. Suddenly people had, oh, they had a weekend. I discovered weekends. Oh, horror. <laughs> they discovered brunch. I'm telling you, brunch <laughs> is the death knoll for the church <laughs> for a lot of people. Oh, my goodness. But just getting off the hamster wheel gives your brain a chance to just not be in that frenzy that you're always in, you know, throughout the week and the activities and the callings. Yeah. And you just I think also you discover spending time with family together instead of all going separate ways. You know, you just have a chance to think and kind of feel out what really works for me. That's kind of what happened to my family. Yeah, and I, so I think the the while the average attendance was ninety five, I think it's more likely post pandemic that that's probably close to what what it is. I would not be surprised if the attendance is in that in the vicinity of an average um, attendance of about ninety five to one hundred now, um, which means twenty percent. And actually, that's not too far. I mean, the US, sorry, the UK now is. I think it's in the vicinity of 13% of people on the books are active. Okay. And then how many of those have a temple recommend? Because I've heard that that's a very small percentage of each ward too, like maybe only 20% of the people that attend. So if you think about that, teeny tiny numbers of people yeah. are actually attending the temples where most of the money is being funneled. If you really want to look at that, that's where the money's going. I said it So before. fortunately, yeah, so we... um. We, do, we don't have to rely entirely. I think this is imperfect data um, at this stage. I, I would like, if it was to be done properly, the best thing would be to have, say, somebody count the attendance at, um, I don't know, a large enough number of wards uh, and to get a, an estimate, a, re a real estimate and of, of a real measure of the numbers that are attending and then correlate that and correct the data for that. Um, 
but yeah, I think it's it's very likely that this data is only going to improve in its accuracy. Um, but then we can I can foresee a revelation coming that uh, bishops will be instructing the members of their wards no longer to bring their mobile phones to church because we have to hide the fact that. <laughs> um, look, I just think social it's media possible. <laughs> They're so determined. They're so determined to hide this information. But fortunately, we don't have to rely entirely on this attendance data because of the the digital sort of cell phone data, because other um, piece, other sorts of data are now becoming available. Um, because quite a few countries around the world are now doing reporting census data uh, and religious affiliation at census data. Um, but this is some data for the US that is um, very fascinating. So this is where. Um, Harvard University has a cohort of about 50,000 Americans and they survey them. And this, this 50,000 is created, has been created back in 20, 2010. And as people pass on, they recruit, they would bring in new people, but it's a representative sample of the US. <clears throat> and they've tracked the religious affiliation of these people. This 50, this is a large cohort. Um, for the last uh, 21 years, or no, 12, 11 years, I think that is. And as you can see, you know, they've got Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus. This is basically minor, smaller religions here. Um, and they're all doing okay. The Jews are doing sort of okay. They're maintaining themselves. Most of the mainstream, uh, there was another slide that had mainstream religions, and, and they're sort of holding their own. But... Uh, there's just a, a really clear, really clear uh, decline in the LDS people who are prepared to say that they're LDS, um, and that's a thirty percent decline in eleven years. Now, I would say that if that's going down, then the it's very likely that attendance would also be going down at a similar sort of rate, uh, because people who are saying that no longer members of the LDS Church are likely to be people who have um, stopped attending or um yeah so so that reinforces what we're seeing from the uh, attendance data but also we've also i think the next slide shows real data this yeah so i think it was back in when was it 20 it was about four years ago three years ago we had a a leak of attendance data in the UK. Yeah, it goes through 2020, so it must have been about three yeah. years ago. So. It was about two years ago we had this re um, release of data. So we had about, there's about 47 or 43 stakes in the UK and Ireland. And, yeah, this is the attendance of all of those stakes from 2011 to 2020. And there's been about a 13% decline over that period. So, yeah, 20, in 2011, there were 32,000 people attending. In 2020, it's dropped to about 27,600, um, which is an activity rate of about 14.7%. And that data is pre-COVID. Okay, so the even, even though it is reported in 2020, that's for the first quarter of each one of those points is the first quarter of that year. So the first quarter in 2020 is January, February, March. 
uh, in the UK. And then well, COVID so hit. It's declined. Oh, it would have, it would have um, by quite a bit after COVID. So, so we yeah. saw. I, I would estimate that it's probably down. They would have it would have dropped by ten to fifteen percent at least. Yeah. So I would say it's probably the activity rate in the UK would be in the twelve to thirteen percent now. Wow, so, we're almost getting to tie these this, levels here. This is real. <laughs> this is real. These are real numbers. But the the other thing to take into account is that. Um, that's not 13% of the people in 2011 that have left. Each year, the church is baptizing a few people and it's got children that are being born into the church and they're counted in the numbers. So all during that period there, and we'll talk about some other data in a moment about the Canada and the Australia, each year there is about 1% growth, natural increase, from children and from, you know, people that are baptised that, that stay active. So that's not, if you look back at the 2011 population, that's not an 11 point, that's not a 13% decline from that population. The real decline from that population is probably in the order of 17 or 18%, okay, because there's that natural increase during those 10 years. Um, so... So it's, it's actually worse than it looks. Hmm. And I've done the sums. I think if you flick onto the next slide, you'll see some of the data from, um, from Canada and Australia. So self-declared LDS in Canada fell by 20% between 2011 and 2021. They were at about 105,000, dropped down to just over 80,000 self-declared. And I think we're going to see attendance will follow the same sort of trajectory down but I've calculated um, taking into account the natural increase of you know 80,000 80 to 100,000 Canadians over a period from 20 some 1995 that about 35 percent of the people that were attending in 1995 uh, no longer attend so over a third of the church has left during that period, and I reckon it's even higher. That I think I'm being quite conservative. It could be as um, it could be higher than that. And I think in places like South Korea, where they've ex you know thirty percent of units have been closed, I would be very surprised if it's not in the order of fifty to sixty percent of the people that were attending back in at the turn of the century are no longer attending. <laughs> so in Australia, we've lost. I think about 6% between, that's between uh, two census periods of, of only five years. And that, that's uh, quite uh, stunning in South Korea. I go to South Korea quite a bit for my work, and it's it's quite a Christian country. They're, some of the biggest Christian megachurches are in South Korea, and you see their, you know, they use, they light up their crosses at night. It's kind of a red cross, and you can see them all across the city, and they're everywhere. So... You know, it's it's not like uh, it's it's not a Christian country, and you're just losing a few. It it's a it's a fairly Christian country. Uh, yeah. So a thirty percent decline, uh, you're you're losing Christians there. You know, or people who would who would mm. fall within that category. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I don't know exactly what's really driving the collapse in Asia. I mean, um, Japan is very similar 
been quite a lot of cl um, closure of uh, units in Japan. <laughs> and I think well, attendance... you, you look at it again, we look at the technology. Uh, phone technology is huge in, in the a Asian countries, especially Japan oh, and Korea. That's true. Uh, yeah. Every kid, just like in the U.S., has <laughs> access to those phones. Uh, they, they're always texting out messages. The country like was tracking COVID in South Korea on your cell phone. It would tell you if you'd come into contact with someone who had yeah. COVID. So wow. they're very technologically advanced and it could be that that's what's <laughs> driving it is the, that they've got such a high level of technology use over there. Yeah. I think also, excuse me, I've got a little bit of a cough. Uh oh, take a drink. I might have to, I might have to go and get a cough thing. <laughs> go get a cough thing. We'll we'll talk amongst yeah. ourselves. Go I'll do it. Do you think that? I mean, so these are people who uh, attendance numbers, but now that's not the same as membership numbers, is it, Landon? Because people that stop attending, a lot of them just stop. They don't show up. So I wonder if that's why they report membership <laughs> numbers, right, more than attendance numbers. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, when yeah. you're talking 20% attendance, uh, your membership numbers are 80% higher than that. So well, that, no, but that's what I mean. They uh, a lot of people don't remove their membership, even right. though they stop attending. So membership numbers, which I see reported often in glowing terms, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean the person is there in the seat. So I wonder if they focus more on membership numbers, because those look a little more positive than they, they the actual attendance much, yeah, and they don't leave, decline because of don't... natural birth and yeah exactly yeah. well if you, if, if you flip to the next slide i think that might have um, some yeah so this is some ah, <laughs> information that backs up exactly what you're saying great um now yeah the the attendance the, sorry the membership numbers of the church have are just completely meaningless they um don't resemble reality at all and it's 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 just remarkable how effective how little curiosity Mormons have about what's going on. Um, and yeah, I mean, if you look at, for example, in the top line here in this graph, Tonga, the church claims to have sixty four thousand members in Tonga. Now Tonga's population is about a hundred thousand. So that's effectively 64%. The On the census, though, only 18,000 Tongans say that they're members of the Mormon church. That's an exaggeration factor of 3.6. So the church is exaggerating its presence in Tonga at, to the level of three, you know, almost fourfold exaggeration. Um, if you go to the Cook Islands, they claim 20%. 20, uh, 20 of the Cook Islands and Mormon. That's an exaggeration factor of 4.5. There's only about 4.4% of Cook Islanders that are actually Latter-day Saints. Um, so, yeah, the numbers are just ridiculous. Even in Australia, they claim about 155,000 members of the church, um, but only 60,000, actually it's 57,000 on the last census, say that they're members of the church. So, but this is a consequence of, yeah, they baptise people, they go and active and they go and join another church um, or they die and the church counts them until they're 110. So, but, yeah, but if you ask any Tongan today, they're convinced. 
two-thirds of Tonga is a Mormons. He, and uh, John DeLynn recently interviewed a, a lovely young Tongan girl, and she was also convinced. Even though she's sort of questioning the church, um, she still believes that uh, the Tongans are dominating, uh, the Mormons dominate in Tonga, but they don't. But this is the same story all over the world. This is just the Pacific I'm focusing on here with these numbers. So, so they over-report yeah. their membership. Yeah. They under-report how much money they have. <laughs> their finances. Yeah, there's a little <laughs> give and take there. There's another little. They're, they're another not little very consistent, are they? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's a, it's a consistent pattern. They're just dishonest. Because you've got to, you know, you this data reveals problems. And if you just hide the data and nobody's aware of it, then how can you resolve the problem? How can you address it? And it's a serious problem. But they do cosmetic things by creating lots of temples, which they're never going to fill. Uh, and they don't, they do just hardly any in compare, you know, relative to the amount of income that the church has just hardly any charitable work well, sure they do good things but they are extraordinarily wealthy absolutely yeah so, i always think yeah. i've been on a, a panel on mormon stories um on sec report and everything and all of us professor spencer who's on there and rfm and john and i we all say literally the best missionary tool would be to become this incredible charitable powerhouse I mean, you cannot buy missionary uh, PR like that. Do do these charitable works. Use your money and people will flock to your church. They're going to want to be a part of that. I, I don't know why they don't take advantage. I mean, that's twofold. You're helping the world and you're going to gain what's really important to you, members. I don't know why they don't. Well, it's part. I think it's part of the prosperity gospel. They, they basically true. taught that if the church has money, that means it's true, uh, yeah. that they're producing all this wealth, God must be blessing them. Therefore, the church is true. If they actually use that money and aren't producing wealth, uh, the, the, the prosperity gospel goes away and people people don't see it. But I 100% agree. You spend that money on the people and on charitable purposes, and people will want to be part of that. They'll flock to it. But the church mm -hmm. just cannot bring themselves to say, all is not well in Zion. They can't say that. Um, and so they have to use every tool they can to try to try to bolster that opinion that, that mm. it is well in Zion. It it doesn't. The church doesn't have a safe uh, communication channel or a safe. It's not a safe environment for somebody to put their hand up and say, you know, this is bullshit. We we can't be we can't be doing this any longer because we know that person will be released from their calling. Okay, so they're all afraid of being released from their calling. But I think people are getting braver and people are starting to, to say things. Um, but then we need, they need, the church needs more of them. But they, they, there isn't a very good mechanism for people to provide constructive criticism to the senior leaders of the church. Um, it just gets, you talk to your state president, that's the only person that, uh, a bishop can effectively talk to. Um, 
he then talks to so-and-so up the chain and he gets the further it goes up the chain, the less concerned they are because it's not as urgent. The poor bishop's down there screaming his lungs out, saying, this is not working, my young men's program's falling to pieces. Blah, blah, blah. Stake president hears it from a few bishops, passes it on. But once you get two or three rungs up the ladder, you're talking to people who haven't been inside a young men's group for 40 years. Um, so they're just completely detached from reality. So um, there just needs to be some mechanism to 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 get that message through. But well, there 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 actually is, and that's being on the outside of the church. That's the safe place. The <laughs> and that's why Seriously. you see it all coming from the outside of the church yep. on programs like this, where we're saying, "Here's the problem." Uh, yeah. And and uh, Rebecca and I talk about this all the time. Almost all change in the church comes from the outside. It does not come from the inside. You you see it over and over again. Uh, people on the outside making a big deal out of it. Uh, you know, Sam Young, who got excommunicated with the child protection. Uh, you know, you saw polygamy was coming from the outside. The change came from the outside. Uh, blacks mm -hmm. and the priesthood, the change was coming from the outside. People on the outside can push back. And so really, uh, you know, something like this is a way to get the message out and for people to be able to see that. And, and, uh, you know, the church seems to sometimes react to that pressure from the outside, but they never seem to react to pressure from the inside, which yeah. is maybe why so many people are on the outside now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've actually heard a sitting member of state presidency say that John Delin is valuable because, uh, he makes the church better. Yep. So I agree with he, that. Yeah. He knows the I criticism he's he's getting through. Us. And look, most people are sensible. You know, a lot of people are sensible and they if they see valid criticism, yeah, they think, yeah, okay. Um but yeah, but you're right, they just don't have a mechanism. They don't have any kind of mechanism. mechanism. I look at the, the November 15th policy where when it was finally repealed, everyone went, Oh, thank goodness, right? Oh, we've hoped this would happen. Just sitting around and hoping <laughs> and not voicing an opinion or an objection. We're hoping it'll happen, but no mechanism for change or to even complain, like you said. Yeah. So yeah, no, they just it's um I think yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I don't, I, I don't know if they'll change anything. It's very, it's very difficult when you've got, you know, a prophet there that really does think that he speaks to God and God speaks to him. That's so dangerous. Yeah. So <laughs> um, dangerous. So dangerous, and you know, because he gets things wrong, and they've got things wrong here quite clearly. Um, this the change getting rid of young men's presences was a mistake. Um. Well, we've done our duty. Any of active bishops who would believe me <laughs> would agree with me entirely. Oh, I can't imagine. You know, the, reducing the number of callings is just going to burn those people out. You can use them for yeah. a little while, but then there's no way that you can survive. And you see this all the time, even on post Mormon Reddit. You have people writing in and going, you know, I'm a. The, you know, you have active people writing in and going, this is not going well. Anecdotally, this is not working, and they're mm. crying out for help. <laughs> <laughs> I think because it's rough. Well, I think we've but done our some... duty. We gave a lot of free advice to the church on how they could approve it by, you know, improving their programs and uh, making wards that can function, uh, yeah. and putting money back into those wards and into those charitable things. That that yeah. that's the to me that's the secret sauce. But uh, somehow I don't think uh, 
President yeah. Nelson or President Oaks really appreciates the opinion I just shared. So <laughs> write a letter to your bishop, Landon. It'll go to your stake president. It'll go up and then come back come to back. your bishop. And then you'll get in trouble <laughs> if you were still attending church. So it's kind of a circle. <laughs> so, yeah. <sighs> Look, just to make sure that people really do fully appreciate how evil I am, uh, I rejoice in this. I'm very pleased to see the church declining. Because um, I've known beyond any doubt that the Book of Mormon was fiction back in 1998. I knew. Uh, I've never had a single doubt since. And I know that that has enormous consequences for the church if the Book of Mormon is a fabricated piece of history because what perverse God is going to create a fake history to contain his scripture in it? We know what happened. It was in May. It was made up by Joseph Smith. The whole thing was made up by Joseph Smith, um, and I just hate the damage that the Mormon Church does to families. I've been alienated from my family for speaking truth. I'm I'm telling the truth. The Mormon I'm, Church I'm is lying. I'm, I'm in that same boat. boat. Yep. Yeah. And by myself out there. The yeah. smaller this cult gets, and it is a cult by virtually every definition of a cult. Um, the smaller this church becomes, it does less damage to families. That is my motivation for this. Um, so that motivates my interest and why I am pleased to see the Mormon church declining because it breaks up families. Perfectly good families are destroyed because somebody loses faith and the rest of their family shuns them or doesn't know how to talk to them. Um, but there are just so many it's just so obvious that this church is not true. Um, you know, when I was baptised as a 10-year-old, I didn't know that Joseph Smith was sleeping around. He had 35 wives, some as old as 14, 11 married to other men. How do you tell, if you told that to somebody who's about to be baptised into the church and commit to tithe for their life, if they, don't, if they knew that information, they wouldn't join. That's why the church hid it. But it's the truth. Um, and then to be, there are five versions of the first vision. And of course, the, ver, the, version, the version of the first vision that's closest to the supposed event is about an angel and doesn't bear any resemblance to the story we're told from 15 years later. Um, Joseph Smith buried his head in a hat to translate the Book of Mormon. Um, I don't think it was the stone. I think the hat was the trick. Um, Something was going on in that hat. Why would you stick your head in a hat for uh, all day for a month or two to create a book? There's got to be something in the hat. <laughs> Crying out loud. It's obvious. It's, it's obvious in hindsight. But uh, so, yeah, all of those things we were not told when we joined the church, when we committed to tithe for life and when we when, and all these time commitments and all that sort of stuff. And then the church is now admitting many of these things are real. And if you're troubled and you leave the church, you get shunned and stuff. So, yeah, so yep. that's what drives my, that's what I guess, yeah, it's what I um, motivates my interest, I guess. And I think I'd a like lot of see, it. Yeah, like we think, you know, Mormons often think, oh, Scientology is really evil and nasty cult. But Scientology is insignificant compared to the LDS church, is tiny. It, 
it in it sure it does a lot of harm, but it's only to a small number of families. Um, but it's the it's the cults like you know the the LDS Church and the Jehovah's Witness that rip families apart, uh, and they're the ones that I'm really pleased to see when they decline because I like families to be happy and and uh, that's a good thing. So I know lots of people and Mormons will think, oh, that's horrible. I'm evil. I don't care. And I I don't think so. No, and I don't think so. And I think you really hit it on the head because we also get a lot of pushback and all the other podcasters that we know, why are you, why are you dragging, you know, destroying people's faith? Why are you dragging that of the church? Not at all. It's about consent. Like you said, we will put out information, information that you can fact check, scholarship that you can look at from peer reviewed sources. If you look at that information and you make the informed decision to continue what you're doing. I have no problem with that. If it's working for you, you know, um, it's just about consent and getting information out. Don't you think Landon? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you know, the, the key is, is getting the information out and letting people make a decision on their own. I, I, I agree with Simon though, that once they see that information, you can't unknow it. And, and, you know, we know where it goes when you realize all those things I was taught, while I was on a mission, some of these questions came up and specifically we would ask and they would say, no, that's not true. That didn't happen. And now all of a sudden it's true. And the people who'd brought up that it was true are now excommunicated and out while the people who were lying to me are now in the first Promoted. seat. <laughs> so exactly. it's certainly mm. a, a problematic when you see that, uh, that, that the truth tellers are the ones who are, who are often punished, uh, went to, uh, uh, the show Wicked, uh, the Broadway play Wicked, uh, mm. that really had an effect on me because here was the witch that was wicked and she seemed to be the one that was doing everything you would expect while all the do-gooders were the ones that were changing the story and making things up. And yet she's the one that's cast off as wicked and everyone else is, it, it really struck. And I kind of uh, really identified with that with that play because of that yeah but yeah well it's an ongoing dialogue that is for sure yeah, and, no, and I, fascinating <laughs> yeah no it is i always compare it to game of thrones ever since game of thrones ended i need something else to watch and this is it but i also think about why is it so important to people in the church to feel like they're part of a huge crowd or when they hear about someone famous joining the church, like a Gladys Knight or something, oh, just the thrill. I guess it's validation, right? That, oh, a, a, fam- a yeah. more well-known person also believes what I believe and all these people believe it. I guess safety in numbers, but Mormons especially are very, you know, name droppers, kind of like, look there. And then when someone leaves, like a David Archuleta, right? I mean, they embraced him when he was a, a, a member. They used him to get out messages to the youth. They promoted him. As soon as he voiced some concerns or some loss of faith, oh my goodness, they started backing away very quickly. And now they've taken all of his content down. So they love you while you're in. And then, boy, do they distance yourself. But there's just that sense of, look at us. We're big. There are well-known people that believe what I believe. Maybe that's just human nature. It's probably just human nature, but it definitely exists. it's, It's a corporation and it's very concerned with its public image. Yes. And they just employ people. To polish, to polish that image all the time. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why as soon as somebody is a, a liability, that <clears throat> you got to get rid of them and raise them. Yeah. Uh, yep. And it happens, it seems like, eventually. Whenever they embrace a notable figure, 
you're, you know, a singer or an actor, an actress, then eventually usually those people are like, no, <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's fascinating. Any last thoughts, Landon or Simon? And then we'll just wrap up for tonight. This has been really, really interesting. I really appreciate all the slides. They really, yeah. really brought it home. What is actually going on? Yeah, yeah well, if people want to follow the um, and Devin, Devin Pope. If they, people search for Devin, D-E-V-I-N, okay. Pope, P-O-P-E, Twitter, um, you can follow his Twitter feed because he. I think he will eventually have a paper that's published. Um, but, yeah, this is an exciting area, I think. This is uh, giving us some real, pretty close to real data, I think, um, which is, yeah, always interesting. Well, there you have it. Simon Southerton telling us all to follow the Pope. So exactly. What a, what a great name. <laughs> wow. We never thought we'd hear that. No, we'll definitely put links to everything that we talked about and the, and the data that uh, he, that Simon mentioned in the show notes so that you can look at for yourself and follow, follow through yeah. and keep watching, which is amazing. So, well, uh, we'd love to thank Simon for being with us tonight, Thanks. today, the two time zones. That was absolutely amazing. And we hope that you'll join us again. We had a really interesting discussion before we started taping all about mm -hmm. DNA. And that's also where it's at, too, as far as letting people know, look, this is the real story. And again, about that consent. Once you understand, you know, there you might draw some conclusions that are different than what you think now. So we will hopefully uh, get to that on another day. But in the meantime, uh, please like and subscribe to Mormonish. And if you'd like to be notified when new episodes come out, you can hit that uh, notification bell so that you can be first in line to watch the next episode. And if you'd like to find financially support Mormonish and our infrastructure, the things that we do, uh, there are links to PayPal and Venmo on our show notes. And we appreciate all of you. And we'd love to hear what you think. Please comment. Tell us what you think about the data. Tell us your own anecdotal experience as you attend wards, you know, either visiting or maybe you are actually still attending. Let us know. Let's, let's, uh, let's work together and let's talk together. And again, thank you so much, Simon, and we'll sign off for tonight. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.